0: drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life well hey everybody welcome to the word on the hill podcast <laughs> I just looked at you for like I was <laughs> I, I was, you said I, nothing I was waiting you out dude you were I wasn't you know, gonna I was gonna play chicken with you this yeah. is the this is the word on the hill we are the lanky hey guys my name is Scott Powell
1: and my name is father Peter Mussett and I'm so happy that you are joining us today I um, he is he told me he was happy dude uh father Brady Wagner ba- father Brady Wagner came to me after last week's podcast and he's like dude I totally did he listen to it he did he's like I totally didn't have time to prepare my homily so I he was he was like so I just put this on as I was commuting and uh where is he commuting to he was I don't know visiting his family I think it, oh, it was oh, okay. like first commu- to work no no first <laughs> commute yeah <laughs> it's like across the street right. um the uh and he was like dude you guys just nailed it out of the park he was like, wow. he said, and it was so cool because that is exactly what I was hoping for from like one of the, one of the main purposes I had for this podcast is like being able to help priests who are busy. Yeah. That was a crazy mic sound you just produced. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's what happens. I was just, but I By love helping
0: priests that are busy. Yeah.
1: They are the, um, one of salt our salt of the earth, salt of the earth, city on a hill, <laughs> light of the world. <laughs> no, they are. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you guys, uh, priests and bishops and lay people alike, welcome to oh, Do you think there's this. bishops listening? I sure hope so. Do you? It makes me a little scared inside. I'm terrified. Cause, but hey, man, if I can help a brother make a good homily in some way
0: or another. You're right. You're right. And for the rest of us to understand what's going on. Absolutely. We're happy. It is the sixth Sunday of Easter. We're still in Easter. Everybody, we're still so in know.
1: Easter, and then we got some Ascension coming, and some, uh, and then we got some pente. Cost. pente.
0: It'll cost you. Ah, <laughs> I want to get a. Let's play pente sometime. I don't know how to play it. I don't even know what this game is. You just you make the pun every year.
1: Every year at this <laughs> time, it's the time for. Well,
0: we're still two weeks early.
1: I know. Okay. Well, our first reading today is. Oh, I'm so excited about the first reading. Is Acts of the Apostles. So excited. Chapter ten. So excited. Twenty five to twenty six. 35 to 34. Nope. 30. 44 to 48. <laughs> Let's just
0: reverse that. 34 to
1: 35. Oh, yeah. 44 to 48.
0: Yeah. And then our second reading, well, our responsorial psalm, rather, is Psalm 98. Ooh, there's a neat connection to that. Okay. I'm just excited. These are great. These are fun readings. Okay. Psalm 98, verse one, uh, verse two to three, and then three to four. And then the response itself is from 2B. Or not to be. Oh, oh, s- oh, Well played there. Uh, a- second a reading
1: is uh, from First
0: John. Oh, no, that's Shakespeare, not. I was thinking. <laughs> thought it was a philosopher. Anyway,
1: hey man, he is a philosopher in a certain sense. Yep, yep. Not necessarily hardcore and strict. Get to the love. First John four seven to ten. Yo. It's all about love. Get love, to love, the... love, 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 love it up.
0: <laughs> then our gospel reading. You might have to carry a little of the weight on the gospel because I'm not Well, we'll get there. Uh John fifteen verses nine through seventeen. I got lots to say about the first three. And I'm hoping to you for you to tie it in with John.
1: Man. So that's I, your job. Okay, I will accept my job.
0: No, you've got lots of jobs. I do. A lot of hats. I um I'm in this hizzle.
1: I, I have hizzle hats.
0: <laughs> um <laughs> Well, great. I feel like we're there. Um, I'm trying to remember the first reading from last week. Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay. We have been set up perfectly Ooh. for today's reading, for today's first reading. So we're in Acts chapter 10. So, yes, last week, not yesterday, last week we talked about chapter 9 of Acts. Do you remember what major event happened in Acts 9? Uh, you gave have a fantastic homily about it, inc- incidentally.
1: Was it Barnabas and Paul?
0: Yeah. Well, Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion. The oh, That's yeah, big the, yeah. the big thing, right? Yeah. And... We mentioned last week that Paul's conversion is I I said it I think it was one of the most important turning points in the entire Bible because it's the conversion of Paul that's going to send the gospel message out to the ends of the earth and Absolutely. that's going to be the catalyst which which takes even though well, okay, more on that in a second. So so Paul converted last week. Well, he converted before that. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. He did convert, but then um, last week we talked about him arriving in Jerusalem and the disciples who were, must have been a little freaked out by the guy who killed a bunch of them. Yes. Being welcomed into the community and the fruit that bore, and it was great. So that is sort of the setup for what we get in Acts chapter 10. And Acts chapter 10 is really—so um, if— Paul's conversion is the catalyst that begins to propel the gospel message out to the ends of the earth. Chapter 10 is the first occasion of it going to at least approaching the ends of the earth, right? Oh, yeah. So this is the first time uh, of a mass Gentile reception of the gospel. So here's what happens. And to back up, we've talked about this um, story in the past just before the reading that we get this week, there's the story. So Peter so Acts does something kind of funny. Luke, Luke tells you the story of Paul's conversion, talks about the church receiving him in Jerusalem, even though they were probably a little freaked out. And then you get this weird segue to Peter. So even though Paul is gonna be the one who carries the gospel message to the non Jews, the um it has to start with Peter because he's the pope. He's the one who Christ has chosen to lead his church. So now we get a story about Peter. And what happens with Peter is he's called up to this city um, near Joppa to go and heal this, this woman named Dorcas, <laughs> who, is, <laughs> who has died, right? Who has a very unfortunate name. I know. Well, she's got like three different names. It's it, it says like her name was Tabitha. She was also called Dorcas. And then she was also called Gazelle or Giselle. Yeah, which, which I, I choose – Gazelle? A gazelle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he's in a place called Lydda, which was near Joppa. And they hear that he's around. They're like, oh, my gosh, Dorcas has died. Let's bring, you know, here's one of Jesus' followers. He could do this stuff. So they bring Peter. And while he's up there, he stays at this ho- the house of this guy named Simon, ironically enough. Oh. It's his name. And Simon is a tanner, which means he deals in animal carcasses, which is your first sign that something weird is going on because – what could a good Jew never come in contact with? Uh, with death, dead bodies, right? So you gotta ask if you're reading through this for the first time, and you've got Jewish mindset, you might be asking yourself, wait a second, why would Jesus? Why would would uh, Peter rather? be staying at the house of someone who deals in, in dead carcasses. That That's weird. And Simon Luke, and Tanner got it. Okay. Luke never explains that to you. He just kind of leaves that hanging. Yes. But I think it should be one of those little carrots that makes you like, wait, what? Something weird is happening. Yeah. And something weird is happening. So then... Peter's staying there. He goes up on the roof to take a nap before dinner, right? Remember that scene? Yep. And he falls asleep and he gets, you know, what we have jokingly called the pigs in a blanket vision, <laughs> where he sees this image of a blanket being let down a sheet and it has all these animals that were considered unclean to the Jewish law. And, and God says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no, I can't. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And God responds to him by saying, what I have cleansed, you shall not call unclean. Yes. So it, just an important theological point here. It's not that... Christians can now eat unclean foods, it's that those foods which were once considered unclean are no longer unclean. God has not changed the law. He's changed the status of the object, right? Yes. Which is a very important distinction because God doesn't change his mind. He can change us. He can change people. He can change his His creation, but he doesn't change. So he changes the status of his creation. It's not unclean anymore. And all of this is setting you up, not just for food that they're allowed to eat, but for people that they are gonna be called to welcome, who are also considered unclean. So Peter's got this vision, all this stuff is happening, and simultaneously there's this guy named Cornelius who, is told in a vision by God, hey, send up to this place called Joppa and go get this guy named Peter and tell him to come back down here because he's got a message for you. And this guy's a God fearer, like he believes in God, but he's Roman. He's not he's not Jewish, presumably. Maybe he's um, a convert. We don't know. But he's Gentile, right? Yeah. You following me so far? Yeah. yeah. OK. So he sends his guys up to Peter up to Joppa. By the way, do you, do you have any idea what the significance of Joppa is? Well, that's what I was thinking about. I, I, there's only one other time that I'm aware of in the Bible that that city is mentioned. Um, there's, a, there's a couple. Um, <laughs> I just said there's only one. Well, uh, is uh, there a
1: couple? Yeah. I mean, but Jonah Yes. goes down to Joppa to go to Tarshish,
0: yes. where Paul is. Precisely right. So there's a connection with the whole Paul thing. But what's significant about Jonah. Jonah, uh, I mean, he's a great icon of Christ, but he
1: is he's a the prophet. He's yeah, the, he's
0: an icon of Christ because he goes down to the. But he's, the, the, one, he's
1: the one who goes and preaches to uh, non-Israelites to bring about their conversion. The
0: only prophet who preaches to non-Israelites. Oh, every other prophet is either sent to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, but they're all Hebrews. He's the only one who goes out to the Gentiles and he does it from Joppa. It's his launching point. So is it any coincidence then that as oh. Peter is now going to go out to the Gentiles for the first time, coincidentally his launching point happens to be in Joppa. So for the careful reader, you're like, oh, that's a significant place to be, right? Yeah. So they go up and they meet and so as Peter's confused by this vision, as as a sort of confirmation, like I'm like, hey, there's these three guys to meet you. Yeah. And it's going to bring all this together for Peter. So anyway, long story short, Peter then goes with these guys, they go down to this place called Caesarea. And there he meets with Cornelius. And that's where our reading picks up this week. So does that story all make sense? Totally makes sense. This is one of my favorite stories. Jumping up point. So it says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him. And falling at his feet, he paid him homage. So Cornelius is paying Peter homage. Peter, however, raised him up saying, get up. I myself am also a human being. Cornelius is recognizing, like, look, God is working through this guy. He's performing miracles. I, you know, we don't know Cornelius' background. He's a God-fearer, but, you know, this is a pagan culture who are prone to worshiping all sorts of things. Yes. And Peter's like, no, don't worship me. God is the one in charge. I, Jesus is working through me. I'm just a human being. And it says, Peter proceeded to speak, and he said, In truth, I see that God shows no partiality. Rather, in every nation, whoever fears him and acts uprightly is acceptable to him. Now, here's the thing about this line that Peter says. Now, we're jumping a little bit, um, so I'm just going to give you the kind of— stitched together version that our, our, our liturgy. reading will get at mass, yeah uh, liturgy. Thank you. But when Peter says in truth, I see that God shows no partiality. And I, I, I feel like it's even nuanced a little bit in the Greek. You get the sense that Peter's coming to a realization himself as though maybe mm. God did show, I thought God did show partiality. Not, we read that in one of those things that, you know, God's picking favors. No, but the Jewish, um, The whole whole Jewish ethos is that, look, we are the chosen people. He's chosen us over and above all the rest of the nations. Now, he's chosen us to go out and be the firstborn son and to, and to, to be leaders and an icon of him in the world. But the belief is that God shows partiality, that we are his chosen people, not these outsiders. And, you know, this is the biggest debate in the early church is do we let these people in or not? And Peter, it's, the first it, it's pope. It's huge. It's so important. Don't be like a fist fight between some of the apostles in Acts 15, where well, they're yelling at each other. This, to this out.
1: I, I mean, if, if you look around in our country right now, some of the arguments about immigration are huge and that's just a space that's not a family right i mean it's like there's a certain sense of fam- familial but this is the salvific family of god and right. it's like how does this even work how do we even do this like right. are we going to be overrun by other people's traditions and cultures like immigration
0: is a great way to kind of start to understand the beginnings of this i think so so that being said let's read on with what happens with peter because i think there's a twist here that I hope that we as Catholics can catch. Maybe our Protestant friends wouldn't catch this as readily, but we should catch it. So while Peter so so Peter basically gives his homily again, the same one, a similar one that he gave, what, a couple of weeks ago that we just read in um, in Jerusalem, right, to the leaders. He gives it again, he explains what has happened, who this Jesus is, what he's done. And it says, While Peter was still speaking these things, this is verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the word, and the circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter. Now, now, who are the circumcised believers? Israel, specifically, the circumcised believers. What does that mean?
1: It means uh, those who have converted converted Jews.
0: Yeah, Jewish Christians, right? So, Christians who were Jewish. Circumcised. Yes. So, this is shorthand for for Luke. Yep. The circumcised believers, circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter. So, that his crew, his posse. They were astounded by the gift of the Holy Spirit that it should be poured out on Gentiles also. So, everybody's can, so, you know, we kind of take this for granted. We're like, oh, the gospel's for everybody and Jesus walks all and the gospel's going to go out to the ends of the earth. That didn't totally make sense in the beginning. They still had to work out what that actually looked like. And now they're like, whoa, whoa, they're actually receiving the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. It says, they were astounded that the gifts of the Holy Spirit should have been poured out on the Gentiles. What? What's the last word in that phrase?
1: Uh, On the Gentiles, that's all I have in my...
0: Oh, it doesn't say also
1: or to? No, no, it doesn't say that in my translation.
0: Maybe it's somewhere rearranged, though, because sometimes Greek puts words in weird places. Yeah, I mean, I could look at 40... No, no, it's fine. But but what it says is that what they're realizing is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been poured out on the Gentiles also, or the Gentiles as well. So if it's an also or as well, what is that in addition to?
1: The, The Jewish believing Christians.
0: When though? When was the Holy Spirit poured out on them? Pentecost. What are we seeing here? There's another gathering of people and the Holy Spirit descends on all these people. and then it, l- read on, it says they um, that it should have been poured out on them also for they could hear them speaking in different tongues and glorifying God. It's a second Pentecost that's happening here. Ooh, that's cool. And these these believers that are with Peter, they're like, holy snot, this it's like Pentecost again. But this time it's not, we, this is the last people we expect at Pentecost to come to, right? But this happened to us. Oh my gosh, it's happening again. And then Peter responds and he says, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit even as we have? Again, at Pentecost. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So, here's the problem. As Catholics, what do we believe happens when we're baptized?
1: Original sin goes away, and we are brought
0: into the family of God. Our how um, though? What's the operative thing that causes all those things to happen? The cross of Jesus Christ. What do we receive at at baptism? The uh, the indwelling of the Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit right indwells in us at baptism. What just happened in this story? So we believe when you baptized, the Holy Spirit comes. Yes, but what happened here? Holy Spirit came upon them, and then they were baptized. Then they were baptized. It's reversed and some hmm. I've actually heard Protestants use this against Catholic teaching but here's what yeah. I think is going on and I love this I think Peter so we know that God is not bound by his sacraments like he he works through them yes but he's not bound like there 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 is there can be salvation for someone who is not physically baptized we talk about baptism of desire baptism of blood right but here's the thing I think Peter recognizes look these people just received the holy spirit holy holy poop we need to hurry up and baptize them yes he needs to catch up to where god already is he's like oh shoot god is three steps ahead of us we better hurry up and baptize them because i don't know what else to do we know that when you baptize that's when the holy spirit comes they've already got the holy spirit so shoot we better baptize him and i love the thought of the first pope literally like oh my gosh what do we what do i do here because he's literally trying to play catch up to where god is and i think for me that's cool. and the first time this was taught to me I realized that this is the fundamental understanding of what the church is, and what the pap the papacy is, and what the church's hierarchy is. What the ma- what is the magisterium of the church? It's not because I used to think that it was this old man or this group of old men that just kind of decided all these rules to impose on the rest of us. Before I, I really understood my faith, that's what I thought.
1: Which is kind of how I see the American government sometimes. Well, in a
0: lot of ways. But the reality the ecclesial reality is that what the church is what the papacy is what the magisterium is is trying to figure out what is god doing in the world and then conforming the church where is god what is he doing let us conform the church to that this is what peter's doing he says god is working with the gentiles he's poured out his holy spirit It's not my choice. It's it's not Peter showing up and being like, "Well, it is an act of justice that we share the gospel with these people. We really ought to bring them into the family because it's only right and fair." No, Peter, for all we know, doesn't even want to let them in. He has no affinity for the Gentiles. He's just as surprised as anybody. But and and later on, I think we'll get this next week or the the week after. He's going to have to give an account of this to the apostles who are not happy with him for doing this. Yes, and his defense is basically, "Look, this is what God was doing. Who am I to fight it?" Who am I to go against what God is already doing in the world? My job is to conform us to it. And that, again, once I realized that that's the role of the church, then the whole nature of the church began to make sense. Because here's the thing. Coming from kind of a more Protestant background, we just know that not everything is in the Bible. The Bible actually doesn't talk about same-sex marriage. The Bible doesn't talk about the morality of pot or crack cocaine or all sorts of things. So, okay, how do you you determine then— how we live in all of these different circumstances while well, the job of the church is to find out where the Holy Spirit is at work and conform the church to that. Yes. And that's the job. And that's what we see Peter doing. And that's why I love this story so much because it's simply, it's not him saying, this is what's right. This is what we ought to do. This is a good idea. No, this is what God has chosen. Who are we to fight that? Dude, that's and I love that. It's, yeah. it's Ecclesiology 101. I really think that's beautiful. And that's what brings the church to frankly the likes of you and me who probably don't have any jewish heritage but that actually is what propelled the church to the rest of the world and actually got us here which is really beautiful yeah yeah so that's um that's my excitement on the first reading dude
1: it's really it's really awesome i one of the things that i'm i'm super fascinated by and i've always been fascinated by is this concept of called the called the semini verbi that the holy okay. spirit is preparing all cultures of all times to, re- to the reception of Jesus Christ, yes, that yeah. the seeds yeah. of the yeah, Word yeah, yeah. Are, are present always and everywhere, and so, so, like, but we can we can even watch that in this these moments today, absolutely. That um that you, you all you have to do is pay attention for how the Holy Spirit is working, yeah. and and then draw that out, and that is actually what leads to the experience of uh of a uh, total con- sacramental conversion.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And this is where we get so, we got to be really careful, especially those of us that are serious about our faith of not, and this is where I fall short because, you know, every morning I I look at the news and I check all the social media and see what people are saying about the church and what's going on. And we can fall into just our lives being dictated by what the media tells us is going on, which is usually not reality. There's some, there's some good friends of ours in any in my life who, you know, these folks were, were, just very secular, you know, living these secular lives, secular jobs had no, you know, I, I considered them fairly liberal. I I hate using those terms, but you know what I mean? It's it's spiritual stuff and political. And they, for whatever reason, just started going to this church and they were just totally moved. And they're like, can we have a conversation with you guys? Because we've never even heard of this stuff, but we're really intrigued by it. And just, we just want to sit down and talk about it. And like all these things that they're, uh, you know, we kind of get this, ideas certain of us who are serious about our faith and and these faithful Catholics and stuff we're like this is what the world thinks and this is how the world sees us and this is how the culture sees us and I sort of assumed that on these people and it was so far from the truth we haven't thought we haven't thought about it we don't even think about these things you're not even on our radar screen so tell us because we're really curious now and I was like, oh, well, this is a great conversation because we can just talk. I'm not fighting all—you know, we we live yes. our lives sometimes thinking that we're just going to be fighting all these fights. Yes. And the media creates a lot of fights that makes us think that we're fighting. Well, you you know but you, folks, know, folks, man, you know why that is. Folks just know the truth and they just want to know it. You why know, is that?
1: The reason why the media does that is because um, its storytelling is based <laughs> yeah. on conflict. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are not absolutely. interested in the land of the happy people where yeah. everybody's getting along. No, the reason and the way in which you grab somebody's attention is you put them in conflict. Yeah. That's why I'm going to punch you in your face. Oh, no, please don't. Okay.
0: But here's the thing, though, and th- this is why this is so important. I And I take... Take this with a grain of salt, everybody, because it's not universally true. But I think we look at the world, again, those of us who are faithful and serious about our faith, as though it's this fight waiting to be had. And that the secular world is always thinking about us and always thinking about the church in ways that they can undermine us. And the news that I have for us is that for good or for ill, they're not thinking about us. <laughs> we're just not—some un- of them are, yes. and we're on a lot of radar screens, but just yes. average folks— are just living their lives, which makes evangelization, sharing our our faith and the gospel, a lot easier than we think it's going to be. Oh, yes. Because the people in our lives are just curious because they don't know. They're not thinking about the church. They're not thinking about all the ways they can undermine the Catholic belief. They're just (laughs) living life. And a lot of times they're living life in a kind of hopelessness, and they would love to hear about the thing that actually gives us hope in our life. And there might be fights that come out of that and all sorts of things that come in conflict. But you know what I mean? Yes. Sometimes I do feel like I live my life thinking everyone is out to get me. Mm, yes. Or the church. And yes, there's plenty of people who are, but by and large, it's probably not your next door neighbor. It's probably not the person in the cubicle next to you. It's probably not the guy sitting in traffic across from you right now. You know what I mean? They're just yeah. they're just living their lives. And that makes evangelization a lot easier.
1: Oh, it does. Which leads us into... Which leads into, us...
0: Yeah, it really does lead us into Psalm 98, I yeah, think.
1: The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations.
0: Yeah. So there's the, the kind of face value of this. Okay, what did we just read about in the first reading? The nations, the, the goyim, right? The Gentiles. Yep. All being brought into the family. So he's revealed to the nations his saving power. But I actually want to zoom in on one line of one of the stanzas. So it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand has won victory for him, his holy arm. There's a theme throughout the Bible of the right arm or the holy arm, the mighty arm of the Lord. Dude,
1: what? I've seen some like, I've seen some like typical oh, no. charms that are just like arms that like you can hang around your neck. Like, no, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's like, it's like if you want healing for your arm, you can do it. So as soon as you're talking about the holy arm, dude, I'm, I'm like, dude, I kind of want a necklace with the arm, the holy arm on it, dude. Oh man, <laughs> that's the worst.
0: <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable.
1: Hey, that's, hey, that's why I'm here.
0: Thank you. but but the idea of the arm, so it, it, it's it's this image, it's kind of a metaphor that's used throughout the Bible that is always referring to God's salvation, the way that he's going to save. It. The, the first time actually that this phrase shows up, the mighty arm of God is actually in the Exodus story when he frees his people from Egypt. Oh, and here's what I think is significant about that. So you're like, oh neat, it's a metaphor, you know, for the way God's gonna save his people. But the very first time it's used in the Exodus story, What's God's purpose in the Exodus? Well, his purpose in the Exodus is setting his people free to worship him. But if you read this book of Exodus very carefully, he's actually got an, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, his intention in the Exodus story is point blank to be known He wants to be known by his people. He wants to be known by Israel. But he also wants to be known by Egypt. He also wants to be known by the other nations that are going to hear the rumors about what he's done there. He wants to be known by all generations who will come afterwards. He wants the nations. So the very first time that this phrase is used, the strong arm of the Lord, is not just he wants to save his people, Israel. He wants to save Egypt, the oppressor. He wants to save the Canaanites, who they'll be oppressed by later on. He wants to save all of these nations because he wants to reveal them to himself to them. Yes. And the other place that I think is significant that this line shows up is that Mary chooses to use this metaphor in her Magnificat. Remember that, when my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit and it rejoices in God my Savior? Yes. What does she say? Um, I wrote it down. From generation, he, he re- has shown re- the strength of his arm. Oh. He has scattered the proud. I, I, I'm convinced, I think, that even though this metaphor is prominent in the Bible and speaks about God's salvation, it usually has the undertones of bringing in those who are least expected oh. from its outset. It's actually referring also to Egypt. The Egypt. He wants Pharaoh for Pete's sake. That's who he wants to give his salvation to, not just the Israelites, Pharaoh himself and the Egyptians. Because, you know, when the Exodus happens, it actually says very explicitly that when the Israelites left, there was a huge mixed congregation of people. There were tons of Egyptians that left Egypt because they're like, no, this God is the one. And there were other slave nations that came along with him because they're like, yeah, we're, we're totally into this. And then later on, remember when they go into uh, the Holy Land, when they go into Israel, oh, into into, into uh, the Promised Land, and they're hiding with that, that prostitute. I think it's Rahab, right? Rahab, She's yeah. She's like, we heard about what your God did up in Egypt. They've heard way over there about all these things. And they're like, we were terrified and moved and I'm ready to accept him right now. I mean, this is what God has wanted from the beginning. And this is why the first reading is so significant is that what Peter is realizing and what's going to come out as this discussion now will break out, this argument among the apostles is that no, really this was God's plan from the beginning. Mm. He's just chosen a new means to do it now. But from the beginning, he wanted all the nations. It was never meant to be the Israel show. It was meant to be Israel, the one who was supposed to bring the rest in, yes. and now Israel has become embodied in the one Jesus, who is reaching out to bring everybody else in, and that's, I think, what the what the psalm is kind of doing here. Yeah, but I, I, I just I was I was intrigued by that line about his his right hand his holy arm. Yeah,
1: well, and and some of the translations use the word uh, vindication. Yeah, yep. which, which is the Greek word soterion. And so Tyrion is is, is salvation. Salvation. So no. vindication. Sometimes, like I, I like the thought of somebody being vindictive.
0: Oh yeah, good point. Is it's just not. It doesn't sit on the palate well. But you can think of the word vindication. Like I, I think of someone who is falsely maligned or something who is then vindicated. Like oh. oh I was accused of this or I was had this done to me, but then I was vindicated. Yeah. You know God suffered and died on the cross, but then He was vindicated. vindicated. So you can. There's a there's a multiple ways of looking at that word.
1: Well, and uh, and I just wanted to to you know like vindictive. Oh, interesting. It, it, like it, I think it can have negative context, but I yeah. really like how like the Lord does prize the innocent, and yeah. and yeah. It actually in in yeah. fact when He looks upon us, He uh, He really wants to have us dwell in the innocence that is ours, that yeah. is actually our birthright. Yeah, totally. Which mm. brings us lovelies into
0: First John to the love. Beloved, so First John. We've been marching through First John, which again we don't totally know the audience of this. There's not a lot we know about First John, except that it was probably by the Apostle. But he says, "Beloved, let us love one another, because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. Um, in this way, the love of God was revealed to us. God sent His only Son to the world that we might have life through Him. In this is love, that not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son as the expiation for our sins." I think I mentioned last week, I used to hate the phrase, God is love. Because to me, for a long time, it just, it seemed like a bumper sticker. Burlap and butterflies. A coffee, a coffee mug. Yeah, burlap and butterflies. God is love. And I felt like whenever I questioned my faith, like in Sunday school growing up, I always got the answer. Well, don't worry about it because God is love. Yeah. And I, I couldn't stand that. But now I actually get it. And I see what First John is actually saying. I mean, do you, do you know what the traditional Catholic definition of love is?
1: Gosh, I have one that I function out of, and I'm so I'm not sure is is giving me yours a, um, acting for the good of the other.
0: Yeah, or to will the good of the other. Yeah, yeah. Or I I actually like acting for the good. That's even better than just willing it. But that's very different than kind of the lovey-dovey, like everybody just hug each other. I mean, I, that's not you know we we tend to we want to our culture wants to almost uh, substitute love for tolerate. I yes. Toler, as as the father has tolerated me, so I tolerate you. Brian Larkin and I, Father Brian Larkin, which yeah. went through all the places where it said love in the Bible in exchange tolerance. It's really funny. The father doesn't tolerate Jesus. He loves him. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus doesn't just tolerate us, which just in my... And and if you
1: look at Scott's Bible, it's really funny because all of the word love is crossed out and he put tolerate, which is really kind of disturbing for everybody involved.
0: And I don't want to be... I I always get... I, I really get bothered by... Again, those of us and we have a lot of friends and people circles we run in that kind of want to mock the people that have the tolerate bumper stickers and stuff and make fun of them. I actually I don't want to do that. I'm not because I I appreciate the sentiment that they're getting at. But when I hear the word tolerate, I hear put up with. And if the best we can do as a culture is just put up with one another, I'll just let you exist over there. And that's what I hear when I hear tolerate. Yeah, because what it does is it forsakes the acting for the good of the other. It forsakes relationship, doesn't it? I don't need to have a relationship. I'll just tolerate you. I don't mm. actually even need to talk to you. I'm just going to put up with you existing over there. Mm. And I hate that. Yeah. Because that's such a, and, and I don't think that's what people mean when they say it. No, I think the, I, intention, I the intention is intention. more,
1: oh, like, let's coexist, yeah. which and, is like.
0: And I get, I don't want to, I really don't want to mock it because I, I do get, I get where they're coming from, but I just think it's so weak yeah. and so um, it doesn't insufficient.
1: Ma- insufficient I think that's a great way to actually come to it
0: but willing the good of another I mean here's the thing when Peter went to Caesarea I, and again I don't know Peter's intention but I do know a lot of the intentions of the people with him who yell at him later on for this <laughs> they don't want these people involved but I mean what's what's the thing about bringing them into the into the faith it's again it's not just because well it feels really good to welcome you into our community no god has want god wants this and yeah. your good is is the plan that God has mapped out for you. So in my willing your good, I want you baptized into the family of God. That is love. It's willing the good of the other, even when that's painful or not received, or it's actually the last person that you want to be sitting next to you in the pews. To love them means to will whatever is the best for them. And sometimes to love what I mean, I heard this well, there, there's a we can I don't want to get into this, but there's a good story I heard once about somebody who out of love, punched their brother in the face as hard as they could because they were acting like an idiot. <laughs> but actually, that's what turned them around. That was like the moment like, oh, wow, that was my wake-up call. Yes. And sometimes love is punching somebody in the face. Maybe that's not our tagline for the podcast this week. But <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but it, when I read this, yeah. it's like, "What is what does God do to love us? Well, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die on their behalf. That, that's what I'm going to do to love. I'm not just going to have nice, warm feelings about them or just coexist with them. I'm going to die and shed my blood on their behalf. And I'm going to plead from the cross as they're spitting upon me, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's love. Love is being spit upon and bloodied and whipped and saying, Father, forgive them, which is not touchy-feely or doesn't feel very good. But Again, I'm just trying to relate this back to the first reading. What it means is that I, whether I want you in the family of God or not, whether I actually want you next to me in the pew or not, to love you is to will the good. I, go back to the first reading. We made that analogy in the psalm. To love is actually to, to go to Pharaoh and say, I want you to come with us. I want you. It's to say to Peter, uh, to Paul rather, like last week, yeah, you killed my uncle last week. But I actually want you within the community, because I will your good. I mean that, that's it's just not what we think of when we think of love, right? But that's what that's what God shows us. That's what first Peter that's why First Peter is much more provocative than it sounds. It's not just a reading that you read at weddings sometimes. I mean it, it is it's provocative, it's dangerous, it's hard. It's a punch in the face sometimes, right?
1: Yes, which which I think we actually need to jump into the gospel to that's really, a perfect segue, yeah. to really actually go because the command now this is the this we would receive on um on uh the uh Holy Thursday mass as well. Oh yeah, you're right. Yep. is John 15, yeah. Yeah, this is my commandment to you that you love so one another. Is this another, during as the last supper you. scene? Yes.
0: Okay. So we're in the last supper.
1: We're in the last supper and the Lord has just washed the feet. Right. And he's and and he's given this command to abide. Just like the dude,
0: the vine, (laughs) the dude abides. Oh yeah. And this picks up right from the vine reading that we read last week. I'm the vine, you're the branches.
1: Yep. And so, so it's really saying like, no, you, like you have to understand that your residence is in me. Yes. You, if, if, if that's actually where you let your heart be, you're going to find life.
0: Uh, not even your residence, again, to take this back to the first reading, your your national identity, like this is who, this is your, your identity lies in me, yes. your residence, your country. of This is what F- Paul is talking about in the letter to the Philippians, right? The citizen, your citizenship is not in Rome. It's not just in, in Philippi, it's in Jesus himself. You abide in, this is why Paul keeps using the phrase in Christ, in mm. Christ, literally. And scholars have debated for so many years, okay, what does that actually mean? It sounds like a place, right? Is it geographic? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, in a certain sense it is it is place-based, right? It is your identity, it is your home, it is all of these things.
1: And so he calls us to actually live the love that you were talking about before. I mean, it's the it's this self-sacrificial like authentic total self-gift TSG like what t- TSG, total, total self-gift.
0: Self is that a thing?
1: Uh I mean, it is now, baby. It is now. What up? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's this moment of of actually being able to, like, <laughs> yes, <geez.
0: laughs> how dare you?
1: <laughs> All right, let's no, continue. But uh, but to make yourself to actually be willing to go through, as they would say, hell and high water. Yeah. To be able to give love. Yeah. Which is really like, I I find that actually a very confusing thing, hmm. um, because. How much do you lose of yourself to love another? A lot. And and a well, lot. Well,
0: ideally everything.
1: Ideally everything. But, but how do you do that w- way, in a way that's healthy and not unhealthy? And yeah, that's yeah, actually yeah. where so much of, of the healing in our lives needs to come is we get, we get distorted in the way in which we think that we're supposed to love. Hmm. And wow. rather than making self-gift, we manipulate another to fit something that we need them to fit Ooh. rather than actually being willing to pour. Like what you're saying before, sometimes actually the right thing is, is to be in obscurity and punch your brother in your face to to actually yeah. to to actually love them because it is what is called for and you have to sometimes release how you're perceived how you're understood i mean like all these things with like Christ goes into obscurity he tries to reassure the apostles you keep on hearing him and he's like he's like okay i'm going to tell you this now yeah because yep, yep. when it comes,
0: you're going to get it eventually.
1: It's going to be really not what you're expecting. Yes. And and I have to die. And they're like, what do you mean by rise from the dead? But we don't want to ask him because we're like we're so confused, out. like yep. confused and freaked out. And so that that's really where like, okay, yeah, what what how we imitate Christ consistently in the church is going to be in, in, in some really deep levels confusing.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. It's hard. So what do we do? So how do we do it?
1: I um, that's where I like. If we think that the Lord is not actually in communication with our hearts, hmm. then we're we're numbing out. Wow! And you actually have to stop numbing. I mean, I think that wow. that's why we fast over land. I yeah. think that that's why we we that's a
0: good. Wow, that's a good insight.
1: And so that so that as our heart, because if we stop numbing, then we start to become sensitive to the movements of the spirit. We become sensitive mm-hmm. to the sufferings of our own life. And if we're actually willing to suffer the thing that is the most disagreeable to us, um, if we begin to be willing, it doesn't mean we have to do it, but to say, "I will go even there if the Lord asks." And yeah. that docility of spirit—that's actually how, like. That's actually how the Holy Spirit, other people encounter the Holy Spirit to bring us back to the first reading again. If we become docile and move, then we are willing to actually pour out in ways that are that we don't think or expect the Lord is going to do. Like, Hmm. how is the Lord going to draw in the nations? Well, I don't I don't even know. I mean, I know that I look at you, Scott, and I'm like, here's a man who can who can actually do some really pretty solid apologetics, who has who has a pretty fine intellect so how how are you going to actually do it whereas like I I have a I have a great intellect I have a profound intellect practical intellect Mm. too and actually the sharing of the gospel is in some ways for me intrinsically tied to the flowering of my life these Mm. these moments of these profound successes but i have to pay attention very closely to way the holy spirit is working in those those flowerings of my life Mm. so that the the grace can make them fruitful yeah and and because and that's why i abide in the midst of them and not just numb my life out which wow truth be told we are all really tempted to numb our lives out totally totally Rather than actually get serious about letting the Holy Spirit bring us into some awkwardness. This is my new insight in the world. The awkwardness is the key to everything. Yeah.
0: It's true, actually.
1: Like, if you're willing to go into the awkwardness in creating things, in the intellectual life, in relationships, mm-hmm. in fundraising, yeah, in preaching. If you're willing to actually get awkward and, and abide in the awkwardness, then you abide with the Lord. It's true. Because uh, customer interviews—if you actually want to find out what's actually happening in people's lives—allowing that space of of revelation to take place, I think is that's that's the new thing that I am inciting on.
0: You're absolutely right, and that, my friends, brings us back to take home. Yeah,
1: which is funny because how did we start
0: this podcast today? The awkward wait, awkward silence. (laughs) 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 I bet it was some awkward silence when Peter went up to Cornelius. Hey. Hey. Hi. Uh, you Cornelius? Yeah, you Peter. Cause seriously, the Holy Spirit just said to Cornelius, hey, go get this guy. <laughs> and they're like, okay, I got you. Let's go to the tanner's some, house. You want some iced tea or something? <laughs> like, what he- I thought that was awkward. Really? Put himself in it. That's it. Awkwardness is the key to everything. Like. So
1: y'all, keep it awkward. Keep it awkward. And thanks for listening. Look us up on Facebook. Um, send us <laughs> business, cards. business cards. Thank send you us, for that. And t-shirts, uh, stickers, <laughs> coffee
0: mugs, whatever you got. Hats.
1: Uh, you guys are the best. God bless you. We'll be back next week.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at lankyguys.org. You can also find the Aquinas Institute at thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time.